Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Tonight, we're welcoming back our friend, freelance writer, TJ Hafer. Hey, how's it going? Good to have you back, TJ. We also welcome back our semi-regular freelance writer and uh, co-host on the Josh and Jay show, Rowan Kaiser. Hello. So, avid 3MA listeners may have guessed from this panel that we're going to be talking about Crusader Kings, uh, because that's really the that's that's really a topic that you have to have TJ for because he plays <laughs> it more than just about anybody I know, and I think still cherishes the dream of making his career around writing after action reports about his Crusader Kings adventures. So, uh, yeah did you did you see his Wikipedia page? His fake Wikipedia oh, God, page. Really? Oh, yep. Yeah, I made a fake Wikipedia oh, yeah. page for a Crusader Kings battle that followed like you the are format kidding they, me. They use for historical battles in <laughs> okay. Wikipedia. Yeah, this is going in the show notes. So, like, I'll send it to you. How deep does that rabbit hole go, TJ? Like, can I click like on the blue links and it will tell me about like people in your battle, but their fictional lives? Not yet. Yeah. Okay. That's good. <laughs> but that's to, good. To give a more precise answer, the rabbit hole goes 787 hours deep at this point and uh, shows no signs of stopping. So. Uh, so this is a good time to tell you, TJ, that this is not actually an episode of Three Moves Ahead. This is, in fact, an intervention. I'm going to loop in your oh, wife now. Damn it. And. Uh, <laughs> No, uh, we are going to be talking about Crusader Kings uh, because the Horse Lords expansion just came out. But because we haven't talked about this game in ages, uh, it's been about uh, you. You just looked it up, Rowan. It's been about two years since we talked about this game. It's been a year and a half, right? So the game has changed a lot since then, and I would say like the last time we checked in on it, it was still a very Western Europe Mediterranean focused, uh, you know, feudalism simulator. And at this point now, it's basically the Europe Universalis of the Middle Ages. And it's covering some pretty extensive topics. But as we get caught up with, with Crusader Kings, and as we were sort of leading into this episode, I detected kind of different reactions to the thought of revisiting Crusader Kings from you two. Uh, and, and Rowan, I wanted to, to start off with you, because you just seemed like, you know, even though Horse Lords is doing a lot of new stuff, you sort of seemed kind of uh, a little bit fatigued with the whole Crusader Kings concept at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm curious where you're at with the game right now. Yeah, three years later, I might be not quite as excited as I once was. Part of this may just be that I did a massive Crusader Kings 2 to Europa Universalis game uh, a couple months ago, and I played as what would eventually become Sweden, which was super duper easy to create a giant empire, and that just took forever and was not super fun. Um, so it, it could just be that, you know, that that drained my energy for these games for uh for a bit longer than the horse lords was it's, it's kind of a, it's, yeah crusader kings the the rise to power is almost always more fun than like actually holding power yeah i just had way too easy of a time like once i got to empire level just maintaining my kingdoms by playing them off one another there was no there was no real challenge in in holding on to that empire um do you think that sort of reflects it? Because I, I generally, my, my typical Crusader Kings experience tends to be like, take a duchy, become a king, make a bigger kingdom, have some rise, have some falls. But like, usually like, I am not breaking the game. Like, I'm not creating medieval super states when I p play uh, Crusader Kings. That's not what, I, what I'm really here for. And it's certainly not what my competence at the game allows me to do. I am curious at that at the higher skill level does it feel like the game maybe breaks a little bit there's a certain you can hit hit a certain level where the, the systems just don't keep you in check anymore it it was less the higher skill level and more that that is a super easy i keep saying super uh, that's an extremely easy uh starting point when you're ragnar lodbrock and all his sons or no you're you're Ragnar Lobrock is like the, the guy down, by the way. <laughs> just like sort of, yeah. just sort of like a Viking Archie Bunker. Just like, well, it's a Vikings show, right? That's where it starts. Yeah, the Viking. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ragnar Lodbrok, Yeah, it takes a lot yeah, of liberties with history, but yeah. Well, so does CK two by having Sigurd Ring and Ragnar Lodbrok in the game. Yeah, but wow. yeah, you you start as the most powerful duchy in Sweden with 
a super duper king and then his even better son um and you can basically form the kingdom of sweden within you know the first 20 years pretty easily and then you get all the viking bonuses from the start of the viking era and it's it's just a snowball effect normally i play like you rob and i have a rise and a fall and you know sometimes that lasts to the end but a normal game will involve me starting as like a a sort of medium-sized duchy and assuming i survive the initial initial burst um i'll become a king or maybe a have two kingdoms or something like that occasionally get an empire but you know something that feels like it's within the game but there are some starting points that are very easy to get outside of that and uh, i think they're even easier for tj yeah well there's there's definitely this period this rise to power period that even for like an experienced player like me i can't guarantee starting you know with any given count that i'm gonna do well but there definitely is a point of no return past which it's like i could just kind of put this on speed five and pay off my vassals when they're getting annoyed and they've they've addressed that to some degree by making that road longer um in that you know they used to just have the feudal system and now it's to the point where like you can start out as tribal and then build up to feudal and then eventually adopt imperial administration if you you know get really big and, and prestigious and that's kind of the new end mark is like okay i got my imperial powers um and now it's just going to be easy mode for the rest of the game um which is something that i noticed like europa universalis does a lot better is like kind of continuing to challenge you even when your nation gets like super huge and you know out of control powerful but ck2 it seems like uh they just haven't figured out a way to do that I mean, I think they have to some extent, but not at the same level, because you can you can sort of get to a point where you're, the character that you're playing is above enough that he or she can just bribe everyone with whatever they need. Whereas in EU4, you get that as- aggressive expansion penalty, and everyone comes after you. Well, and then in EU4, you also have the... Um... The fact that the, the sort of big, spread-out, shallow empire is no longer quite as... Uh efficient as it was sort of when eu4 first came out mm-hmm. uh so it's like the it's not like you can just keep gobbling up smaller nations because those like if, as you get deeper into the game uh smaller nations start packing a bigger punch uh so it, it definitely like checks you that way as well i think that uh, maybe it might be the fact that eu4 requires you to expend resources to core territory whereas ck2 really doesn't i mean mm. sometimes you have to like assassinate a guy have an opposing religion in a place that you conquered so he won't rebel and then put like one of your lackeys in power but it's never like you have a finite um any sort of a finite pool of stuff that is stopping you from expanding i mean what if you have the cbs you can just take over everything and it's it's not really going to drain be a drain on your resources uh the way it is in eu4 yeah and i i think the only times i i find myself sort of um struggling for resources as it were in in crusader kings is just i start running out of family members i can trust that is which is exactly (laughs) the game it should be right is like "Mm, i'd really love to uh you know sort of take this duchy and take it off my hands and and sort of outsource that but man my third son is a real he's either an incompetent jerk or he's uh you know he's basically machiavelli well and you get into like uh at at the level that I'm playing at, you get into things like, all right, I have like these nine people who are members of my dynasty and are eligible to take this land. Okay, I've verified that these three are not assholes. Do they have sons? Do they have enough sons? Are any of those sons assholes? Is there anything I could do to prevent those sons from growing up to be assholes? Like, <laughs> you have to think in the multi-generational sense of is, is giving this guy this land going to be a bad idea? So... My question, my question then is: Is this is the is the fundamental action of Crusader Kings uh, still as interesting to you guys? Because I do feel like one of the great things about Crusader Kings is that it, it generates all these it generates all these stories, these narratives, and this is kind of what the game has has been celebrated for. When I revisit it, I, I find that while there is a lot of variety in what can happen, my day to day like workflow, as it were. Ha- has 
indeed gotten maybe just a little bit stale. Like there's there's a little bit of like, oh man, am I going to seriously have to dive into this family tree and like untangle this web of like intermarriage and sub infudation and figure out like you know where the where the right levers are to sort of unlock access to sort of steal this steal this duchy or, or get this claim there the the i think the the work of playing crusader kings 2 not necessarily the goals right i'm still like you know when it comes to dynastic plotting and betraying my liege lord and having my children killed i'm still on board with that but at this point, I find myself chafing an increasing amount against just, I guess, the act of playing uh, Crusader Kings. And that's maybe even gotten a little bit worse as the game has gotten a little more complex and new sort of systems and societies have been introduced uh, to an interface that, you know, really, I, I that sometimes feels overmatched by the amount of connections and information you need to be able to get at. I think that probably the most important expansion that they've had in the time since we've we've talked, um, the Old Gods, I think, is still by far the most important. But the, the Way of Life expansion gives a sort of deeper dimension to all the interpersonal stuff. So the first game with that that I played, I was... Um, ended up being like the teenage Duchess of Aquitaine after, you know, everyone had died and um, I succeeded, and I had like a bunch of aunts who were roughly the same age, and a bunch of sisters who were roughly the same age. So this basically turned into a matriarchy for this generation. I'm not exactly certain how. And then there's this count vassal who's basically working his way through each one of them because he's taken the seduction trait, and he's giving them all <laughs> syphilis. Yeah, oh, no. yeah. The, when they introduced that seduction mechanic, it was out of control. Like a third of the AI, yeah. a third of the AI rulers would take it, and you just had infidelity and STIs and chaos everywhere, and people killing each other because they they caught someone cheating with their wife. It was uh, they had to tone it down quite a bit. Yeah. So, like, as this is happening, I've got the event where the there's the the exorcist woman mm -hmm. who, um, and she has a daughter who's just about as bad as her, who's like the older countess who's trying to inherit by changing the succession laws to seniority, and none of these none of these women have actually had a son yet. They just keep having daughters. So there's this evil old countess who's trying to change the succession laws, and all these teenage girls who are off having affairs and getting in rivalries with one another. And like, I eventually managed to marry my my woman off to a really good alliance, and the guy turns out to be gay. So I'm not having <laughs> kids that way. So I'm trying to do seduction in order to have children out of wedlock, and it's it was a really exciting sort of story that uh, I know they've toned down the seduction a bit, little bit, but the, all of those ingredients are still there. But I feel like they're there if you're playing in the medieval Christian Europe as the Crusader Kings. Um, they're, they're probably still there if you're in the, if you're in the Islamic States. And I'm not it's sure. Crazy they're not really the things that I'm getting. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which has its own mechanics now, too, since they introduced, like, imperial administration, where you can just, like, take titles away from people for no reason. <sighs> yeah, I'm, the, a lot of this expansions that they've done is they're, like, basically slowly moving their way east and back in time are getting away from the sort of um, high medieval, feudal, Game of Thrones-like uh, craziness and... As you say, Rob, I'm not sure the interface entirely holds it. Like, I was playing some of the Horse Lords, and... Um, I mean, there's some cool strategic-level decision-making that I'm doing, but I'm not getting that sort of story generation of all these teenage girls or, um, you know, whatever dukes are betraying other dukes or, and stabbing their kings in the back in the middle of a major war, that sort of thing. This is just pretty much, you know, I'm trying to make sure that my tribe survives and expands and uh, um, it's sort of normal strategy game level and I'm not getting the same sort of excitement that I got out of playing in Western Europe, which is 
I'm not sure if that's chauvinistic on my end or uh, what. I, I feel like that there are good experiences to be had at, outside of the sort of Western Christendom, especially with like the tribal leader. It's it's weird now because there's like five different cover, four different government types plus imperial administration, which is kind of its own separate thing. But you have the feudal rulers, you have the Muslim ikdas. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And uh, tribal societies, which are like the settled tribal people, like Scandinavia starts out that way, and like the Slavic countries um, largely start out that way. Um, and then the nomads, of course. And I feel like the tribal gameplay is pretty fun just because of how brutal it is. It doesn't have as much courtly intrigue that you were talking about, but it's like, you know, brothers fighting brothers, and your realm is pretty much guaranteed to split up between if you have more than one son. Um, and so you, you have to always be thinking about, uh, you know, what am I going to do about my brothers in this next generation of succession um, and sort of making the progression towards feudal and, and seeing the, the sort of world you're talking about come into its own over time, I think is really fun. Um, nomads, yeah, I nomads think, are kind of another issue, but that's kind of I, I do really like the tribal gameplay. Yeah, I do think that um, the tribal mechanics. I played a fair amount as, as in Viking states and a couple times in Eastern Europe, I think. But I think that there is a uh, there's a sort of okay, when do I make this switch decision, or even do I make this switch ever? That is pretty interesting, and it's like, all right, do I want to you know, try to become Christian and feudal and settle in and have, you know, a stronger core state, but maybe not quite as much strategic excitement and constantly declaring war. Right. And, uh, yeah, the tribes can expand like crazy, but they can't hold on to it. So it's almost like, you know, grab as much land as you can and then become feudal so you can actually keep it. Um, and I, I do, I like that dynamic. Um, but I think they have improved that over time. I think it was a little bit too easy um, shortly after the Old Gods for a few oh, yeah. months where uh, you could just keep expanding and then take the stuff back, where now it's a lot harder to change those laws and uh, maintain that maintain that giant Viking empire or whatever. And uh, now I think there's, it's you really have to either go all out and get the... Um, uh, religious uh, update. What's it called? The, the, are you, the were pagan you... reformation thing? Yeah, the reformations. Right. Where... You either go all out and get the reformation or you slowly work on becoming Christian at the right time. And, yeah. you know, some of the most fun that you have is like you become Christian, two, three quarters of your vassals are not ready for that. And you have to either try to fight them or reconvert and take the prestige hits and. Right. So because, on, which is because realistically, uh, if you don't do either of those things, if you don't either become Christian or reform your paganism into a more centralized religion, you're pretty much uh, dooming your entire realm at some point. Which can be kind of a fun game to play. I have played that way before, where it's like, all right, let's see how long I can hold out as an unreformed pagan against like the tide of this sweeping feudal, you know, Catholic wave that's coming um that's definitely I, I don't want to say definitely not sustainable but i as somebody who's played almost 800 hours of the game has not been able to sustain it so so i guess turning the horse lords a little bit because i think this will lead mm -hmm. us back to some of the things i wanted to talk about is as, about how the game has changed but so the the big attraction with horse lords is that you can basically play the the steppe peoples, the nomadic tribes, uh, and mm -hmm. like real talk, you can be Genghis Khan. That's that like that's yeah. really that's what that's what the box says, right? Does the sound right. of of being the the scourge of Christendom uh, sound good to you? Well, here you go. The thing is, as I've played with the nomads, there are things about that experience that are really cool. You are this like rolling ball of chaos, like. You have more soldiers under your command in as a as a nomadic tribe than I think like I've ever commanded as a Western European uh 
like like a powerful Western European noble, not like a, not like a king or an emperor, but like the 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 hunt the 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 um the Mongols can really bring it. But so so that's a lot of fun. You're you're just sort of rolling. You you have this huge army. You're rolling up on these kingdoms. You're you're turning them into tributary states. You're pulling out. You're going just wrecking the next person. You're you're constantly there's this constant churn. It's really exciting. It's really fun. But then it comes time to figure out how to govern uh, a, a nomadic tribe and it, administer a, a nomadic tribe. And then I start to feel like there's this weird disconnect between the way Crusader Kings 2 works as a game and the way it's trying to tell me that these nomadic tribes work. And that's where I start to get a little bit frustrated. And it's kind of, I was, as I was sort of playing it, I was, I was starting to think, like, you know, I have wondered at times how they will improve on EU4 because that game just keeps expanding. And, you know, having spent a little more time with um, Common Sense, it, 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 it continues to sort of deepen and enrich itself. And the interface is, is sort of stretching to accommodate the new ideas. Playing Horse Lords, I'm starting to think, okay, I think I'm ready for Crusader Kings 3. I am ready for yeah. them to sort of reevaluate how to make all of these different systems work and how to present them to you, the player, uh, because I can sort of feel the wheels coming off as I'm trying to manage this noble tribe. And so I'm wondering, like, sorry, not noble tribe, uh, though I like to think of my, my nomad, nomadic tribes as noble, uh, but I, I am talking about uh, step tribes. Yeah, I would definitely say that I would rather have Crusader Kings 3 than another CK2 expansion, and I think I've felt that way pretty much probably since around the time Rajas of India came out, but it's more pronounced definitely with Horse Lords. Uh, to me, it feels like playing with cheat codes on, like they mm. don't, they let you they let you ignore so many things that are like sacred cows of CK2 like you can't declare or well your armies are raised and it's like nope now you can have all of your armies raised and just park them on the border and declare war and like the clan CBs. management who needs a CB yeah you have CBs on everyone all the time you always no matter what on any bordering state have at least a duchy CB and it's pretty easy to get an entire kingdom CB on top of that. Um, but but in the game's defense, I kind of feel like that ends up kind of working because the the real check on on your tribe is the fact that the thing is unstable as hell. You absolutely have the um, the Game of Thrones death of Khal Drogo thing, where like oh man things are going great. My rulers just eat like I govern an empire from from China through through Iran all the way into Europe. It's fantastic. I like I can't be stopped. And I've really, you know, my son's gonna inherit a great empire. Oh man, my ruler's dead a little bit sooner than I wanted. Okay, well things still seem cool, and then suddenly, no, they're not cool because all the other clans in my tribe are starting to sort of revolt and try to trying to sort of splinter off or, or, or seize control. And all the people I've subjugated are saying like, you know what, this is the moment. Like we are going to reestablish our independence and we're done being, uh, you know, Mongol slaves basically. And so there is this feeling of a great Khan or a warlord, um, is this, is this sort of dynamic, like, uh, like like centripetal force keeping all of this together and the moment that person vanishes the entire thing flies apart in different directions unless you're very very good except the thing is i find myself <sighs> the governance of a nomadic tribe using the ck2 interface and even the ways that even the ways it it even the ways it models the governance of a, of, of a nomadic tribe just doesn't seem to work very well for me, and I'm I'm kind of curious how you guys feel about that. I don't really get how the subclans are supposed to be working. Like I, I sort of understand what I'm supposed to be doing with them within the interface, but I don't understand what this means. Like I'm giving, I have one one subclan that I have to give two thirds of my land to. Like yeah, I, you're, you you really shouldn't uh, do that. You should you should be splitting up. Because yeah okay so it won't let you, me. You have a you have a certain number of counties 
um, under your control, uh, which has a nomadic ruler. Most of them are, are steps, so they don't have anything built in them necessarily. And the more land you conquer, the more you have to give away to the clans. And it's based on a percentage of the total of what you own. Um, but you can split up that percentage among as many clans as you want, uh, as long as you have the ability to create those clans. So yeah, it, it won't let me. So I click on the split clan when I finally see this, and it says that you don't have whatever power. Or... Huh. See, I never had that problem. Yeah. Like I never, I was always able to split to the point that none of my vassal clans ever had as much land as I did. And eventually I got to a point where none of my vassal clans had even half as much land as I did, um, which, you know, kind of made the whole splitting after my ruler dies kind of a joke because unless they all rebelled at once, it, it was kind of a one-sided rebellion in my favor. I might've only noticed this after the Khazars had taken two thirds of my land. Oh, so. okay. Yeah. So if you, you, you haven't played horse Lords yet, but basically Oh, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues that I have with the way this presents, uh, it, the way it's trying to model uh, the tribal dynamics within the Crusader Kings interface. So, first of all, Crusader Kings has this has this vocabulary that it uses across every type of nation. Right? It talks about things in terms of counties and duchies. It uses this very Western European uh, feudal vocabulary with some very strong both mental associations, cultural associations for us, but also it uses them to describe like the way these societies are organized. The nomads don't really function in the same way at all. So, yes, there are duchies. There are these geographic and the, there are these geographic entities that you can assign to different family members uh, that will be or or are governed by other nomadic chieftains uh, that are called duchies, but they don't really mean the same thing with the nomadic tribes. And in fact, they don't they see they end up seeming really arbitrary because the nature of the nomadic tribe is that you don't really develop anything. You don't really like your territory is not something you really govern or or do much management with the other thing is that you're used to sort of looking at the the game sort of is all about like looking at basically who is who is a powerful like landholder in your kingdom uh who has a a rich province who is who is influential and sort of either figuring out how to neutralize those people or win them over to your side that's kind of how the game works but again Within the nomadic tribes, like geographic importance is, is kind of meaningless because everyone's commanding just like different wasteland. But you have these different clans within your within within your overall tribe uh, that sort of follow their own uh, almost follow their own foreign policy, but they are still basically subject to you. Except a lot of times they will hate you. You you can split off as many clans as you want, so it's like. I don't have to keep giving land to these guys who are powerful and hate me. I can just create a new clan and like give him the three little areas I just conquered. And so none of the clans that hate me and rival me for power have gained any land. I've just created a new clan and mm -hmm. set them up over here and they're weak and pointless. And you can do that, I think up to 10 times. And by that point you're huge. I mean, I, my Turkish Cognate controls like all of the steppe and most of Persia, and I still haven't run out of clan slots, basically. So, I think I think the issue here is that this should be a dynamic situation. Like, when your king dies or your con dies, like that, you should get the split based on like his brothers or whatever. Like, the, there's no. There's no reason that that should be in your hands. You being able to split up your clan or split up other clans or try and divert power in that way, I think, makes the... It doesn't feel right, and it makes it kind of too easy if you manage to get that, which TJ seems to have. Yeah. Um, but, like, if you if you have your Khan die and he has you know, five sons, and the one with the most prestige becomes the new Khan, and the other four all go and start their own clans, like, that's a much more interesting situation. 
Well, and the, the other thing that happens is it's supposed to be a little bit more difficult once you start getting into the civilized world. Like as I'm conquering Persia, I'm taking over you know land that belongs to you know Persian Muslims and Arab Muslims, and they become my vassals. But the thing is, you can freely revoke their titles, and it will upset all of your other settled vassals, but your nomad vassals don't care. So it's like, all right, I just triggered a rebellion of all of my feudal vassals, but all of my loyal clan vassals and myself outnumber them at least 10 to 1. So it's kind of pointless. Like, you just you revoke all feudal titles and burn down all the castles and holdings, which is another thing that Horse Lords allows you to do, is to just straight up destroy holdings and turn it back into pasture. Um, so it, it it could definitely use some tuning to just make it so the hordes don't feel like god mode. Uh, for me, for me, I didn't feel so much feel they were god mode because of the fact that it was so hard to build something that would endure uh, was kind of an issue. Like, I was able to keep my clans in check pretty effectively. What was hard, and I think this should be hard, is keeping like densely like populated civilized world in check, right? Because that that for me was was the issue. Is um, if I was trying to actually subjugate like if I was trying to subjugate heavily civilized areas, uh, every time I turned my back or every time there's a little bit of upheaval, um, the local nobles were starting to rebel and sort of try to break away from. Uh, the 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 Mongol Empire basically, and that actually felt pretty right to me. I I was having a real hard time, uh, sort of, I was having a hard time keeping control of those ter- territories on a consistent basis. On the other hand, it was also very trivial to usually then crack down on them, and you know re- sort of resubjugate. Uh, what I ended up liking doing a lot was um you know creating a lot of tributary states, but it was. It definitely felt like the instability of of the uh, of the clans was was pretty well modeled. I think just for me, it was the weird disconnect between like the way the Mo- the the way like the Mongol society was organized, and then the fact that all my ways of interacting with it are through this like geography and feudal system. Uh, this, this interface that was that was built for for the sort of connection between like political power and, and geographic power, uh, and and in in horse lords, I feel like that's a little the, those things are a little more separate, and I almost wanted like just a different interface uh, to allow me to sort of like handle all the people uh, who were uh, basically like subjects and tributes and uh, you know fellow like uh, like clan chieftains. It, it just uh, there was this there was this weird struggle where I was sort of hunting around on the map for 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 people and and locations that really were kind of meaningless because that like their physical location uh, just didn't matter for for the role they played in the game. Does does that make sense to you guys? I mean that's that's sort of the the chauvinistic aspect of Crusader Kings too from from the beginning is that like. As soon as they got out of Western Europe, you get into like the uh, the Islamic territories, and things weren't divided so much by yeah you know duchy or whatever. So like one of the biggest uh, Islamic game that I played, I played as um, I started with the Duchy of Syria, I think, and the family that is in charge of this duchy in the game is. I looked them up with the convenient Wikipedia link, and it's just like a random noble who was captain of the armies of the Abbasids at this point in time. And um, they kind of defaulted this family to the Duchy of Syria because they needed to give that person a geographic location in order to fit in the CK2 system. And that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. It made for a great game, but it didn't doesn't really fit the the history in the way that you know playing as the duke of normandy would yeah it's ck2 is a game about the western european feudal high middle ages that has been professionally modded (laughs) to include like all of these other government types i mean it's, it's very clear and this is why i want ck3 or some sort of successor to crusader kings it's not called crusader kings is that it's 
it's clear that this game was not designed with all of these mechanics in mind. It was like they had a nice car. They're like, you know, boats are cool. Can we make this into a boat? Yeah, let's try that. You know what I like? Airplanes. Can we make this thing into an airplane? It's like, in some cases, they've been successful. Like I was talking about, I like how the tribal mechanics work, even though they're they're not really perfect or uh, historically representative in all cases. Uh, but that's that's kind of where I see CK2 is right now. It's it's a, a car that's had a rudder and uh, some wings and some jet engines kind of welded onto it. And uh, I'd rather just have a product that was designed from the ground up to represent all of these different types of societies that existed in you know the uh, the time period we're looking at. Well, this is part of why I like the way of life thing is that instead of going out, it went in. Um, it's, right. And that works, and that works with any sort of uh, any sort of culture. Although some of the little subquests are kind of too universalized, but um, in general, the idea that you're sort of focusing on what you can do within these these ideas and improving yourself in that way, it cleaned up a lot of the weird interface stuff of how to improve your character and also um, added a lot more options for sort of internal intrigue and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I think my, the... my, my problem with Way of Life is that you know, I should be able to do any of these things anytime I want. Like, it makes you pick a focus and stick with that focus for 10 years. That's like, if you want to kidnap someone, you have to take the seduction or the, the intrigue focus. If you want to seduce someone, you have to take the seduction focus. Like, I think I should be able to attempt any of those things at any time. Maybe my focus gives me a higher chance of success or something like that. Yeah. Um, I think one of the issues that they have to face now just in terms of like socially and maybe internally is like are they going to take the next step which would be either go even earlier and um, try to hit the uh, the rise of Islam or go further east and get into China and I'm not sure that this this system can really handle either of those I mean China might be easier than trying to model the nomads just in terms of the interface but um in terms of size, it's a problem, I think. And uh, the further the further back in time they get away from that 1066 start, the stranger it is to try and like say that these pre-feudal societies were, you know, actually just on the verge of being feudal, and we can use that system to model them. So yeah, I, I feel like they they've sort of hit their limit, and I. I didn't play much of India, like in India. I obviously played played the game since Rajas came out, but um, I didn't. This the Horse Lords is the first time that I've really felt this way. Uh, most of the others, it's felt like, yeah, Crusader Kings too. You're still going. You're still great, but now it feels like okay, you you've sort of hit your limit. Yeah, and I, you know, it's it's interesting because I feel like. A year or so ago, it felt, and certainly when the game was was new, it felt like the system was a lot more adaptable than I think it's proven to be. Uh, because when I was when I was playing it at first, I was like, "Wow, like, you know, this is like this proves like you could totally make a great Roman Republic game. Look at these relationships and these complicated politics and all of this." But like now, having seen the reality of like it trying to handle different forms of government and different like ways of organizing society. It's definitely like, yeah, uh, we like there, there are certain things that would have to be sort of retooled and reconsidered before you could, uh, push this, push this much further. And yeah, I don't, I don't exactly know where it goes from here, uh, because I feel like it's funny. Like, I I think like the core game, like if you, if you turn, if you, if you pivot back to Western Europe, the game's even better than it's been. Right, like I think a lot of things work just really, really well if you're playing sort of in the in the time and the place where this game was originally built for. That's that's all been sort of uh, you know refined and, and improved in a lot of ways. And uh, I would argue it's not even there's probably never been a better time to get into CK2 because they've done so much with like the tutorial. Uh, that's oh, yeah. a lot. That, that's a lot easier to get into. There's a, there's a lot better. They built a much better on ramp uh, to Crusader Kings too. 
than they've ever had before. It's just when you sort of look at the the edges of the experience, the things they pushed out to, to sort of model, that you that it, it starts becoming a little bit uh, a less less satisfying, but also just a lot less conceptually easy to handle. Yeah, it's 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 really the it's the insistence on on you know tying everything to a dynasty and everything to land and even the way republics has worked like republics have been in the game for a long time and it's not really representative of how a republic works to the point that you know they've disallowed you from playing certain types of republics because they can't really justify it with their core concept of dynasty management um and you know there are lots of governments that don't have dynastic succession that existed during this time period that just can't really be well modeled as long as they want to cling to that idea that it's a dynasty simulator and that's probably one of the big issues of trying to go to china too right well i don't like Uh, the the problem is my knowledge of china is just too crappy to know like exactly (laughs) because because china has these different these very distinctive phases in in governance and so I just I'm so bad at tr- at mapping that to what's happening contemporaneously in Europe that like I'm not actually sure like if you're talking like old gods period versus late CK two like what like what you're dealing with in China. Yeah, you've got uh, I think four pretty major different dynasties uh, across the Charlemagne to uh, EU four time period, maybe even five depending on how you how you try and model it and each of those is going to have pretty distinct different ideally distinct mechanics like the way the mongols dealt with things is going to be very different from the song or the ming um it's it's a it's a question that historically had many different answers that ck2 only really has one answer to in in terms of you know from where does authority derive you know it's it's lands and titles and you know birthright and all this stuff um but all, and, yeah, but but yeah. fundamentally, it's about the family, right? And that's not how you know. Like one of the reasons a lot of other societies flourished while Europe was sort of stuck in the Middle Ages is because you had sources of stability uh, that were beyond. You know, I can trust my I can trust my son. I can trust my daughter. Uh, there were different answers, and yeah, and and like you said crusader kings too is very much about like yeah no you've you've really got to just this is all for the greater glory of your family which starts to 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 break down see rob i would say that to go back a little bit that it's proven surprisingly adaptable to me i didn't necessarily think that it would be work so well once you got outside of western europe and it's kind of ramshackle but it's there's still a decent game in most of these i never got into the republics but um the tribal and the nomad and the uh islamic gameplay i think is all it's all doable and if you get in the right situation it can be just just as good as western europe but um it's definitely not what this was built for and you know you just look at the the name of the game and uh it it does not suggest that you're going to be playing genghis khan yeah yeah and and that's that, that that's probably too probably being too too harsh on it i think I, I think my my one of my major issues is just um there is a growing frustration with just the way the interface works uh that you know like like we we're talking about the the wikipedia at the start of the show right and i feel like actually a more like what what i what i'm dying for when i play crusader kings is just a better way of connecting the various people and the various places uh, to to the interface, right? Because I feel like what I increase often what I need is not three quarters of the screen consumed by a map. I need like multiple tabs open, basically. Like, okay, here's like I need this person's holdings just highlighted. I just need to see this person, and I need to in another tab simultaneously have like their father-in-law and see where you know mm-hmm. where that family's connected. And that's what I need to need to have access to. I need to be able to sort of do these side by side, like you know, build the connections, right? But the game doesn't let me do that, and so I end up like sort of always hunting around, like one of those crazy people in a yeah. TV show that's like got the like the photos the people and like the string like t- you know tax in the wall and like here's the connections yeah. i can see the picture now and crusader no, I, kings makes me into that person when i try to play it 
I have a workflow for finding spouses for my rulers at this point. <laughs> like it's it's like a list oh of steps God. I have to follow. Like open the character outliner, pick female, pick not married. You know, great house, my religion, my culture. You know, to search for like what traits. Like oh, if there aren't any geniuses avail- available, what's the next thing I'm going to look for? And it's it's like this whole uh, production. But uh, the the other thing I was going to note is that. I've been playing a lot of Mountain Blade Warband recently, and it occurred to me that that one of the sort of idiosyncrasies with the Crusader Kings model is that it takes place over this huge time period. Like, it's a longer time period than EU4, which is a game where characters don't really matter that much, but it wants to make it about the characters, and those, those two elements kind of clash just with the pacing because you don't spend a lot of time with them. You know, Mountain Blade is a is a similar game in a lot of ways, and I know who all the lords of the realm I'm a part of are because, you know, I've spent like 20, 30 hours in a single campaign, you know, fighting with or alongside these people. Whereas in Crusader Kings, it kind of feels like people are kind of gone in the blink of an eye, and you might remember your ruler and, you know, maybe one sibling who gave them trouble and, and something like that. Um, but it, it seems like if they wanted to make a really successful game that's about role-playing out this this grand strategy from a personal level um they'd almost need to to go in more instead of expanding the time period and just be highly focused on on you know where you're actually going to spend a lot of time with one ruler and his family before you move on to the next generation and, and part of that is just our familiarity with the game you know, it's the you know the the first couple games that I played, like you know the Duke of whatever who was trying to destroy my family for generations. Um, that's like permanently ingrained into my brain because that was just a thing that I was learning the game via. But now it's just like I'll go by a hundred years and suddenly you know that guy's been conquered and not a isn't even relevant anymore or the equivalent of who that guy would be in my current game. And I just don't really care that much. And part of that is also that, um, when you get good enough, your the size of your empire or your kingdom or whatever, uh, tends to mean that your focus becomes at the strategic layer and not at the personal mm-hmm. layer. Um, when you're a relatively minor Duke who can't do too much, like making sure that everyone that you possibly can likes you is significant, significantly more important than when you're an emperor and all you have to do is just throw money at whoever whoever shows up in the independence pop-up yeah well and i've 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 brought this up you know at various times talking about crusader kings but i just wish there were um there were a metric of success you could aim for and that was kind of sustainable throughout a campaign that's not necessarily acquiring land and keeping it stable like if i just want to play as a viking and like just go around doing viking stuff and you know, have people remember me because I got up to like 10,000 prestige and, you know, raided all these famous cities and didn't necessarily leave behind a big colored blob on the map. But um, I think with the the role-playing elements Crusader Kings is trying to introduce, giving us a way to play that kind of character would be another thing that would go a long way towards, you know, revitalizing current version of the game or improving a potential successor. Uh- this is something that we talked about when we went to the Hearts of Iron mm-hmm. thing, right? It's that there should be like sort of dynamic challenges within the game where you get rewards for playing harder. Um and maybe the maybe the this system can't handle it, but you know, if you have a if you have a a king died with uh King died with Gavelkind, and you split up your land. I don't know if it's Gavelkind or Gavelkind. I should I've probably said know that by now. I'm probably wrong. Uh, and you decide to play as the youngest brother in that, and don't take the right. kingdom, and just have the smallest of the duchies, then you would get like a, a massive benefit to prestige or whatever, or get an achievement or i don't know you know some sort of reason some sort of choice that you can make as the player to do to play the game in a harder and more interesting fashion and it it doesn't allow that and when you get a big enough game um that you know 
by now we know how to exploit. Yeah, and it, it's um, it's like the first generation is usually the most interesting because that's when you're nobody. Yeah, and, you know, you're actually trying to make something of yourself, and then progressively as you get on, your your whole entire campaign just becomes a story of progressively more and more impressive rulers. When actually, you know, if we're looking at this at a character level, there's so many cool stories that you could tell that are not about the head honcho of this increasingly expanding empire. You know, what if an evil, you know, immoral guy succeeds to the throne and you want to take over the younger virtuous brother who has like two counties somewhere, or even if you just wanted to play like a spy master and it's like, my goal isn't really to gain land. I just want to scheme and, you know, see if I can get this whole family to kill each other. And then that'll be my victory. So basically you just want like the entire, like, Shakespearean tragic oeuvre <laughs> like in in the game. Yeah. Like yeah, exactly. you want you want like yeah, today I'm feeling today I'm feeling a little Iago. You know, tomorrow you're feeling <laughs> a little bit, you know, uh Edgar. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You mentioned Edgar there. But uh you know, I, I agree. I, I think it is great because when I start as like a an unimportant like duke or something um I tend to have these really cool like Macbeth like stories I have these really cool like wars of the roses type situations arise where like I briefly hold the kingdom but I'm brought down and I have to you know my heirs have to cut make a comeback but yeah once you have sort of established yourself uh it does feel like it does feel like it is... Mm. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like the AI is very good at surprising you? Because I feel like I am... I often feel like I'm this 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 prime mover when it comes to, like, plotting and, like, keeping mm. track of everything. But it's very rare that I feel the ground completely open up beneath my feet. Where I'm like, yeah. holy crap, like... You know, there's there's no red wedding situation for me in this game where I'm like, my God, I thought I was winning the game, but it turns out like I have completely delivered myself to my enemies. That actually rarely happens, but I totally do it on a regular basis to other AI characters. Right. And you do it to yourself in EU4. <laughs> <laughs> we're not, we're oh, not too talking. soon. We're too not soon. talking about that. We're not. No, uh, I, I feel like the AI is not very good at it. But the RNG can be, which is part of what keeps Crusader Kings interesting, is that, you know, there's, once I have my big empire set up and, you know, I'm, I'm the, the hegemonic power in Europe, um, there are multiple safety valves, but you can be screwed if, like, two or three of them break at a time. Like, if your, your intended heir dies and then, like, the electors put up, you know, somebody who's not even of your family... And then, you know, you die before you can regain control of the electorate. And then, like, your heir gets assassinated. And now you're playing as, you know, a, a four-year-old with one duchy and a regent who has a negative opinion of him. Like, that can happen even when you're on top of the world. Um, but the AI doesn't really seem inclined to make it happen. Um, the AI is good at dogpiling. As yeah. soon as something seems to start start going wrong, the AI will just like get out its knives. So I had a game where I was trying to play as the Abbasids, um, and you know you start with this big old empire. Oh no, I was playing in a later start date, so I was just a duchy within a larger empire. But I like slowly gotten out to basically take over all of Iraq, and then my character died and his lead heir died. And then I had like a succession of like six different two-year-olds that were just constantly getting assassinated. And that shit got crazy. And that was, you know, kind of terrifying as it happened, but it was a lot of fun to like come back from that because the AI was like, Oh yeah. The Caliph is a, you know, three-year-old boy. We can kill him and do whatever we want. And that got, um, they got good at the dogpiling, and you know, if you get into a war that you start losing, then your neighbors will start taking chunks off of you. It's good at that, but in terms of surprises, um, I'm not sure if it's that it doesn't surprise me, or if it's that the the length of the game is such that uh, any sort of any sort of scheme that it manages to do will pass by in the blink of an eye and seem inevitable in hindsight. 
I also just tend to feel like a lot of AI characters tend to play for like the most effective plotters always seem to be playing for the smallest stakes. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm like looking around my court, right? And I'm like, my God, I got a courtier just like just buzzsawing through this weird Countess's kids. Like just like it's this weird, like yeah. man, I don't know what's going on here. Because you're not even in the line of succession for anything, but you're just like just, like just cleaning house on this poor family. I don't know what to do, but I guess I'll just let you do it. But it's very rare I see this the, the same thing applied to, you know, like another uh, another duke coming after me or another duke coming after, you know, a, a powerful vassal. But, yeah, you are saying. Unless you get that exorcist kind yeah. of storyline. Which, which, again, the RNG oh, is. is to, yeah. That's the RNG tossing up like a, a, a real twist for you. Um, uh, another thing thing is that you can't really have those kind of red wedding type plots because of the way the game is set up if somebody doesn't like you you know they don't like you yes yes there's no disguising of intentions like if, if it were ck2 ned stark could have looked at Littlefinger and been like okay negative 100 i probably should not trust this guy but, yes exactly uh, but yet you don't have you don't have the you can always trust that green or red number you don't yeah. have the, like, it would be cool if there were a second value, like, depending, like, affected by your spy master, the people in your court, and but fo- foremost, affected by your, your monarch's own, your, your, your character's own, like, call it discernment or something like that, but an ability to read people, right? Yeah. And so if yeah. you are Ned Stark, who just can't freaking well no actually no that's unfair because now we're now we're being unjust to the character of ned stark because ned stark actually reads a lot of people pretty well he makes you know he's actually pretty insightful it's just he doesn't he he, he doesn't do anything with that information so i'm being too cruel to ned stark but what you don't have is the situation of like a rob stark who thinks everything's fine and who Mm -hmm. thinks all these people are truly on his side when in fact all the numbers are dipping into like negative one hundred, and he goes to a wedding thinking he's surrounded by people in the high sixties, right? Well, that was that was terrible. Oh my god, god that was dorky. oh my god. Okay, well, hope you enjoyed the last <laughs> moves ahead. Ever that was that was that was excellent. <laughs> yeah, we we don't have any dorks who listen to this who would yeah, understand no, I, that I, perfectly. Like, I am certain everyone everyone got that just fine. Uh, it, people even who aren't into Game of Thrones have probably right. become unwillingly familiar with the uh, with the, with the storyline at this point. But I mean, we we could use Othello here as someone who does not read the situation at all well. I think more people actually in this day and age know the story of Game of Thrones than know the story of Othello. <laughs> True, but uh, we'll we'll get the Venn diagram like close to ninety five percent. But no, actually, there's there's the number one wish list item for for CK three, right? Is uh, make that number unreliable. Yeah, even traits like you should have to send your spy master to. Oh I man, it's so good. Like, yeah, like, no, I'm just imagining like, like you, you yeah. have these sort of double blind systems where like a you you have your own ability to read other characters, but also every character has an ability to dissimulate, right? And so like you have like some people yeah. are just better yeah. liars, and so you like it would be crazy, and it would probably feel very black boxy. But I, I I think you know certainly after you play CK two for a while, you get a little tired of well that plot went really smoothly. Or, oh, and and think, yeah, think how much more interesting it'd be if it's like, all right, you're sending your chancellor out to find out if your most powerful vassal yes. likes you or not. Yes, but you don't know if your chancellor likes you, so you don't know if he's lying to you too. If he's in on this big plot to to kill you, you, you still need some yeah. level of transparency. Like you can see that someone is like charismatic, but the flip side yes. of charismatic is yeah. you know yeah. dirty liar. Yeah, like you could see, you could find out. Okay, this guy's ambitious. I need to keep an eye on him. Uh, so yeah, and we haven't even gotten to uh, the, the trade aspect of horse lords. Does anyone feel? Does anyone have strong feelings about the Silk Road before we uh, call it? Uh, it it gives me more money to spend on troop upkeep. I haven't done much with it really, <laughs> to be honest. I built a couple trade posts, but uh, money, once you get to a certain size of Empire and CK2, much like EU4, money kind of becomes almost in irrelevance. So, 
Yeah, I, I didn't really see much evidence of it beyond the occasional notification that a trade post burned somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think... So, we're also having fun with Crusader Kings. It's just... Uh, it's gotten a little creaky. Yeah, and the things that are new that will be the most of interest to people, I think, who are really into the game and have, have really sort of sucked the marrow out of it. The problem is they will feel extra creaky to those people. Uh, but meanwhile, mm-hmm. if you're like coming late to the party, well, boy, have we got a great, you know, medieval time simulator for you. And so it's yeah. kind of this weird thing where like, I think the things that will refresh the experience for people who are a little bit tired of CK2 are also going to be the things you can immediately start poking holes in the fastest. Well, and it's mm-hmm. it's also just worth noting that, you know, some of these expansions you don't have to buy. You know, like, we, we none of us seem to be excited about the Republic expansion. Most of the, the advantages of that have been included in patches. So, you know, this one, I think, is feels a little more playable than the Republic one did. But um, it does feel, to a certain extent, optional, unless you really, really want to play the Mongols. But just bear in mind that the Mongols are the... Kazars or whoever are uh, not quite don't quite have the interface you might want them to have so that will do it for this week's episode of three moves ahead an idle thumbs network podcast produced by michael hermes you can follow us at idlethumbs.net slash 3ma uh, and discuss this episode and other strategy topics in the idle thumbs forums We'll be back next week with another episode of 3MA, but until then, this is Rob Zachney. Good night.